this is your job. Wait, 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 wait. We were just making the best out of what we had. That's, that's, I feel like that's exactly. Let me ask you this. So is it one in eight homeless children or one in ten? We have some of the wealthiest people in the world that live in the city. And yet there are, you know, so many families and students who can't afford housing. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Hey everyone, I'm Izzy and welcome to Izzy's Network, the podcast. The conversation on this episode will be about a recent published report called Homelessness in New York City Elementary Schools by Catherine Hill and Ziti Maricor. Ziti Maricor. Um, my special guest today is someone who co-authored this report. Catherine, <laughs> please give a warm welcome to Catherine. Thank you for being here. Of course. So just to give you a brief, back, a brief background on who Catherine is, she is a research associ- uh, associate at the Research Alliance for New York City Schools at New York University. Oh, also... Let's clap it up. Dr. Hill. Yes, she's a doctor, guys. Dr. Hill contributes to a number of projects for the Research Alliance, including studies examining the causes and consequences of inequality for historically disadvantaged NYC students. Right? She studies sociology sociology and education. That's interesting. Not sociology of education, but sociology and education. Yeah, I think it's de- depending on the department. They call it different things, but it's looking at sociology, but through an educational okay. lens. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I have my degree in sociology of education. Oh, cool. Great, great. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And earned her PhD from Teachers College, Columbia University. But before we get into the content, here are your updates. Don't forget to subscribe, write a review, share the podcast, and follow the podcast page, Izzy's Network, on Instagram to get the latest notifications, and also where you can participate in the Instagram Live. And first things first, it's Women's Her Story Month. Yeah, I said it. Her Story Month, (laughs) not History Month, Her Story Month. And guess what? The U.S. women's team is suing the U.S. Soccer Federation's I played soccer for a long time, and I know the inequities that happen in in playing that sport. So the women's team is suing the U.S. Soccer Federation for institutionalized gender discrimination. Just for the record, the women's team, the women's national team, has won three World Cup titles and four Olympic gold medals. And what about the men? <laughs> Crickets. Okay. Do your research, people. The discrimination reflects how the women's um, how women are paid compared to men, and also where they are allowed to play and how often, how are they trained, and the type of medical treatment that they are provided, and also the coaches that they receive, and sometimes um, even how they travel to matches, which is really big, yeah. So, shout out to all the women on the women's national team who are fighting for their rights <laughs> yes. on Women's History Month. Very important. Yes. <laughs> last thing, last thing, and definitely last thing. Goldman Sachs is relaxing their dress code by removing the requirement to wear suits and ties and offer a more a casual wear in the work environment. Is this every day or just some? Every day. Every day. And people are proposing sweatpants <laughs> in the survey. And I was like, yeah. Okay. Okay. I hear you guys. So, and that is the update, and let's get into the content. (laughs) All right. So, I was, I've heard about, so let me ask you this. So, is it one in eight homeless children or one in ten? Yeah. So, you're, I guess, getting at um, kind of an important question um, in the way that we did this study. So, if you look just um, at uh, the 2016-2017 school year, Mm -hmm. um, and you look at children who are in elementary school, Mm -hmm. about one in ten children experience homelessness. But what we actually did in our brief, um, which I guess we'll talk about in a little bit, is we followed, we looked at records of of kids and we followed them from the time they were in kindergarten through fifth grade. Mm -hmm. So these these students that we followed um, began kindergarten in the 2013, 2012-2013 school year. Mm -hmm. And if you look at those kids who started kindergarten in 2012-2013 and follow them through the time they were in fifth grade, Mm -hmm. one in eight of those kids 
kids experience homelessness. So it's a, it's a little bit different sample, but right. that's the, so one of the things our report tries to do is like look over time and mm-hmm. see like over kindergarten, how many kids will experience homelessness at some point. Which I thought was a good approach, right? And you indicated that in the report, so not just doing a, like a quick snapshot, that, right? Yeah. But looking at the long term. Yep reflections yeah. and so forth to understand like of the a real problematic issue especially in New York City. Yep, yep. So, yeah, so let me your research folks on the um kindergarten to fifth grade mm-hmm. population. Um can you share why your team decided to do the study? Yeah. So that's that's an interesting. I mean, um so we decided to focus on um, kids are in elementary school for a couple of reasons. The first is that um, actually if you look at the rates of homelessness, it is higher among kids who are younger. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of research that shows that especially, you know, really young kids um, are more likely to be homeless. Younger families are more likely to experience homelessness. Um, so that's one thing that we focused on. Um, I will say, though, some of the reason why we might see that more young students are reported as being homeless is because of the way that data is collected on homeless students. Mm. So um, especially if you're um, a student or a family that's living doubled up, which means that you're staying with a relative or something like that because you can't afford housing on your own, Mm. um, that information um, has to be reported by the family to the school. So you can imagine that older kids or teenagers, Mm -hmm. they might not be like letting the school know that they're experiencing homelessness if they're experiencing homelessness in this way. Mm. So that might be some of the reason that we see that there are more homeless students among younger kids. But that's one reason we focus on younger kids. We also focus on younger kids because, um, you know, the early years of school are just really important to kids' social and academic development. Um, That's where kids, you know, learn how to read, um, foundational mm-hmm. math skills, and all of these things can be disrupted if a child is experiencing homelessness. Right. Um, so we didn't do it because we feel like homelessness is not important to look at at older students. It is, of course, but we wanted to shed light, especially on the youngest students. Yes, because system. of the, like, that's the crucial part of their age, yeah. but also, like, students who are older are less likely to be reported because it is self-reported yeah some of it so some of it is self-reported if Mm -hmm. you live in a shelter Mm -hmm. that information goes automatically into the records Mm -hmm. but if you're living doubled up that's self-reported which is like you know a huge issue because you know we could imagine a case where a lot of families that are homeless we don't know because they're not reporting that information so it could this this the data we have can actually be an undercount of how many people are experiencing homelessness and also how how do parents so even though you're living at home with a relative yeah Right, you don't consider that. Yeah, being... exactly. Yeah, and, so that's... And, and why is that? Why why do why do, why do parents families may think that that's not yeah. a part of homelessness? So that's that's another big issue. It's so so the the definition of homelessness actually comes from like federal regulations, mm-hmm. and so one of the one of the things that counts as being homeless is if you're living doubled up with another family because of financial hardship. Well, like you're mentioning, there could be a lot of cultural reasons, like mm-hmm. why families don't actually think that they're homeless if they're living with another family member. Um, there's also, you know, the schools also told us that, you know, sometimes, especially families are undocumented, they might be afraid of telling, letting the school know about the residential status. So there's a lot of reasons why mm-hmm. families might not report that information to the school. And we need to keep that in mind whenever we think about, you know, uh, the kind of the rates of homelessness that is published. Right. And the database that um, it was in partnership with the NYC DOE. Yeah, so um, um, at the Research Alliance, we um, we use, we get um, administrative records from the DOE. So basically the DOE collects information on, you know, students in a variety mm-hmm. of ways. Uh, their attendance rates, um, you know, their their test scores, mm-hmm. demographic mm-hmm. information. But one of the things they also collect is um, whether or not students are experiencing homelessness. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so in the report you included how, like, um, there's not enough staff, right? We, mm-hmm. we conducted these interviews that there are not enough staff yep. to, in some ways, properly collect the data to provide a more accurate um, number. Yeah. And I'm just trying to figure out, like, like, how does one, how, how can they get more funding to, like, target this particular issue? Especially if it's, again, like, it's always specifically black and brown people mm-hmm. who are always affected. Yep in any circumstance. Yeah, so um, to go back to the report, like a lot of the, we did interviews with school staff mm-hmm. in schools that had especially high concentrations of homeless students. So we're, we're talking about schools where 
a quarter mm -hmm. to almost a half of mm -hmm. the student body was experiencing homelessness. So you can just imagine, like, that's a lot, that's a high concentration of students that have a lot of need. Um, and yet, you know, the funding is just very, you know, small. So basically, um, for every student that's homeless, a school can set aside a hundred dollars that per comes per, per student. student, but it comes from Title One funding, which is already the school already has. So they can set aside those funds. But you know what? What schools often end up doing with those funds is purchasing supplies for students so they can have backpacks and clothes. But it's not enough to like hire an additional staff member, right. which might help with some of these issues you're talking so about. So is it one hundred dollars? per year per month per, per year, week per year hundred dollars per year for yeah. the student yeah <sighs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not yeah. okay yeah it's so really you know they're really working with very limited resources yeah. and doing what they can and you know in our interviews we found that a lot of school staff they go above and beyond like we have stories of you know uh, staff accompanying like teachers accompanying parent families to path where if you're if you suddenly get evicted or if you're suddenly experiencing mm -hmm. domestic violence for some mm -hmm. reason you're you become homeless you have to go to the path center in the bronx to be placed in a shelter so a lot of so we heard about school staff helping families go mm -hmm. we heard about school staff um picking up kids from shelter and walking them to school because the families so couldn't like yeah. you know find childcare. So there's just like a lot of ways that a lot of the staff and schools are going above and beyond to help the students. Um, but you know that that's not always sustainable because there's the, the, these are pe these are school staff members who also have to focus on teaching and instruction and mm -hmm. running the school, you know, so they're really strapped for time and resources to help this population. Right. Two interesting points, right? I know the factors because yeah. I've read the report, but for those who haven't read the, um, read the report like, can you share what are the factors for one being at risk or mm -hmm. for those who are students who are homeless? Yeah, so, I mean, this goes a little beyond what we were able to find in the report. Like, we weren't able to really um, find, like, a systemic reasons for why mm -hmm. people experience homelessness, why these students in particular experience homelessness. But, you know, um, like, from the interviews we did with the school staff and also, you know, DOE um, central staff, we work with homeless, homeless students, um, a lot of the reasons they cited are you would imagine so domestic violence mm -hmm. came up a lot um the lack of affordable housing is a huge issue um so you know families getting evicted because they can't afford rent um and then mm -hmm. you know there's also like you know there's some issues with like mental health mm -hmm. but i think you know really um an important thing i think to think about is that homelessness is just a symptom of like the larger consequences of inequality i so that that is really you yes. know so our report really focuses just on homelessness and what's how schools respond to it mm -hmm. but this is a larger systemic problem and as you noted like we see racial disparities we see disproportionality right the, the students that are homeless are much more likely to be black and latino and especially if you look at students who are in shelter for long mm -hmm. periods of time those students are almost i think 95 percent of those students were black and latino so you know we see these patterns of racial inequality manifest in many ways in our society and mm -hmm. homelessness this is just one of those ways right yeah hmm. yeah you said something i had i had a question but it, i kind of like yeah this is a lot yes this is a lot and one as a symptom mm -hmm. homelessness is one's a symptom for a larger issue mm -hmm. so one would think that oh yeah just apply for affordable housing and boom mm -hmm. that's it for those who may think that how and why would this be more like it's not just as sufficient as one would think, just go get affordable housing. It's more complex, it's more difficult for um, families to move out of um yeah, so again, like, uh, unfortunately, our report, it doesn't really focus on, mm -hmm. like, families themselves and shelter and, like, the process of moving out of mm -hmm. shelter. But, you know, I think, like, what I can say is that we homelessness, I mean, I think the lack of affordable housing in the city is a huge, mm -hmm. huge issue that, um, you know, many policymakers and you have been grappling with. So, you know, there might not even be places for families to go where they can afford housing. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's just a huge problem in our city and a lot of other big cities in the country yeah. yeah when i think about it like even college students double up mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in new york city like this is, is it's extremely ridiculous yeah i mean one of um one of the uh DOE central staff that we spoke to you know talked actually about how she had a college student i think an nyu student actually right. who was experiencing homelessness so we see this you know it's not just we focus on elementary school students mm -hmm. in this report but it's a problem uh, for students of all ages throughout right. the system yeah did you get a chance to interview some of the students because they weren't included in we the didn't interview students okay. um, for this report um we actually we produced a report like 
in this um, that's also related to inequality on what we call persisting students and these mm-hmm. are students who don't finish high school in four years but they stay enrolled after their fourth year and try to finish you know their fifth or sixth year mm-hmm. and like what supports schools provide those students and for that report we did interview students so we try we want to incorporate student voice more into our research but for this report unfortunately we only interviewed uh, school staff so okay. yeah okay. yeah so I want to know what did you find most significant in your findings? Wow, that's a that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think what what we found, I mean, maybe it's it's not surprising, but one of the ways we try to look at the different populations of homeless students is to look at students who we were doubled up, like I talked about before, students who are in shelter, mm-hmm. and then students who are in sh- um, doubled up or in shelter for longer or shorter periods of time. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by longer or shorter is that if you looked so again, we follow these students, um, like I said, from kindergarten through fifth grade. The average amount of years that students were flagged as homeless was mm-hmm. just under three years. So mm-hmm. that was really surprising to me, like that students are not only experiencing homelessness, they're experiencing homelessness for more than one year, Yeah. right? And then s- across the board, when we looked at attendance, when we looked at um, whether or not students um, had to change schools, um, when we looked at test scores, we saw that the students who were in shelter for long periods of time so for longer than three years uh, we're always at the most risk in all these categories so it seems like that population is especially vulnerable Mm -hmm. and um, you know schools probably could use information that so they know not just like whether or not a student is homeless each year but for how long they've been homeless or to target interventions right so I'm a little curious is there though you didn't include in your study but like like did you ever find that some students because at the longevity of how long they've been homeless, they had to either either repeat a grade. Yeah, we um, you know, we didn't focus on grade. <laughs> unfortunately, we did we that we didn't do that analysis. But I would imagine right. that that's something that right. would happen. Um, what we do know is that school t- staff did tell us that you know, so one of the issues with um is with school mobility. Um, students who experience homelessness are more likely to change schools, right. and a lot of that is because the way that placement works for shelter. So if you if you go to Path and your family, you could be placed in a shelter and anywhere in the city. Mm-hmm. So imagine that mm-hmm. your kid is going to school in the Bronx, um, you've lived in the Bronx, and then you go to PATH. You could be placed in a shelter in Brooklyn. And all of a sudden, you know, your child has to get from Brooklyn. If you want your child to stay in the same school, your child mm-hmm. has to get from Brooklyn to the Bronx. And there there are bus services that the city provides, because that's still like a long bus ride. That could be, you know, an hour-long bus ride for a small child. And it be- just becomes very hard for parents to keep yeah. their kid in their original school. But most parents want to keep their kids, a lot of parents want to keep their kids in their original school because, you know, they already know te- their teacher, they already are familiar with the routines. Mm-hmm. And it's really disruptive when students have to change schools. So that's like a huge, I think issue that has gotten a lot of attention about the fact that homeless students often have to change school mid-year and how disruptive that can be to their education. So I think that's one of a significant finding yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Did you like? Do you know? You probably just yeah. curious as we're talking. Do you know why path are like will place? You know, again, I, I don't know why, no. you know, I, I'm just sorry, I'm just trying to make sure that I don't overstate things mm-hmm. that I don't know a lot about, but I think a lot of it has to do just with space, available yeah. space, mm-hmm. so it's not, you know, I don't think, you know, it's not like, it's just where, it's where they have a bed, where they have room for a family. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I know that, um, you know, the the DOE is trying different initiatives to um, place students in shelter closer to their school. But I think that's just really difficult because it requires coordination between different agencies like the DHS and the DOE. Mm-hmm. And it really, it's, it's really a matter of where shelters are built and where there's space. So, yeah. Good point. Yeah. Good point. What did you find? most difficult about the study? I mean, there's just, I mean, I think just the, the numbers are really staggering to me. Yeah. Um, you know, to think of one in 10 students, you know, in the t- who are in elementary school in the 2016-2017 school year experiencing homelessness. That's mm-hmm. just like, I mean, and especially in New York City, like, you know, one in 10 students, that's like, you know, that we have such a large population here that, you know, the, the number of students that are homeless in New York City is actually bigger than a lot of other school systems in the country. Like, the homeless population in New York City alone is like bigger than all the students in Houston, for instance. Wow. You know, and so it's just like a lot, it's a huge problem. It's a lot of students, and we know that you know, this is really detrimental to um, 
you know, that can be really detrimental to their academic outcomes. So I think just knowing the scope of the problem was really, really um, hard to take. And then I think just um, knowing, I think also, you know, this made me really feel for school staff, you know, mm. for teachers. Like, you know, they, I think a lot of teachers really do care for their students mm-hmm. and they try to do all they can, but they're kind of faced with a lot of, you know, just overburdened by having students who have so much need. Um, you know, a lot of teachers talked about, you know, and we talked about mobility already and students having to move. A lot of teachers and staff members talked about, you know, really getting to know a child well mm-hmm. and becoming invested in that child and helping them and giving them support and then all of a sudden they had to change schools because right. of the way that the shelter system works and just how that that's very like just upsetting you know right. to staff members too right so <laughs> we both saw it was like it's just, it's just heavy yeah okay it is really heavy especially you know i'm born and raised in new york mm-hmm. city so like deeply invested in providing thinking about equitable solutions mm-hmm. for everyone, right? Yeah, yeah. But particularly vulnerable yeah. communities. Right. So right. it's really hard to it's, it's really hard to process mm-hmm. because much as, you know, people who don't live in New York or people who don't do research, they're like, oh, New York City is this big melting pot mm-hmm. and there's so much opportunity. Yep. And like, you know, they will find gold on the floor. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, like, people are, there are people in New York City who are really suffering. Yeah. People are suffering in New York City, especially children. Children yeah. are suffering. Yeah. And- I mean, you're, to your point, I mean, I think another thing, too, is just thinking about, I mean, there's just, like, a lot of inequality in New York City, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You have some of the wealthiest people in the world that live in the city, and yet there are, you know, so many families and students who can't afford housing. Mm-hmm. And that's just, like, really, I mean. Yeah. Really, I need to look, I need to look this up. Like, who determines these housing costs? <laughs> this is not okay. Yeah, it's not okay, not at all. So, your report focused on was was it five school districts? It was plenty. It was more than five, but uh, like the concentration was Northern Brooklyn, uh, yeah, Harlem, yeah. Bronx. So at one point, um, I have the report in front of me. We yeah, we we looked at all. So New York City has thirty two community school districts. They're yeah. kind of divided up by neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, and you know there are just some school districts where you see a much higher concentration of homeless students. So if you look at like the Bronx, if you look at in Northern Manhattan where I live, um, Washington Heights, if you look at Central Brooklyn, those are the places where you see the highest proportions of homeless students. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not surprisingly, this maps on to patterns of racial demographics in the city and socioeconomic demographics in the city. Mm-hmm. And then there's some districts that have, you know, very few homeless students. So it's not like every school, you know, it's evenly distributed across every school. Some schools have, you know, like I said, like upwards of 25% mm-hmm. of their population that's mm-hmm. experiencing homelessness, but other schools don't even have one child who's homeless. So there's a lot of inequality in that way as well. I wonder if it's like force, systemic mm-hmm. through force or institutionalized segregation. Oh yeah, I mean, any, oh, I, we're we're hoping um, at the Research Alliance is hoping to pr- work on some studies that look at school segregation. But yeah, a lot of this has to do with segregation um, and concentration of poverty, right? Mm-hmm. So that it's not surprising. It wasn't surprising to us to see that these were the places where you see the highest proportions of homeless students. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Does the mayor know about this? The mayor, yeah, I mean, so I mean, definitely. <laughs> the the I, I think like the mayor has actually gotten a lot of attention about this okay. problem, right? Um, and I mean, you know, if you if you look in the news, like you said, this has been a topic that's been discussed. I mean, we it's have been buzzing. We have we have our report here, but you know, there are a lot of other um, you know advocates for children. Mm-hmm. Um, ICPH, which is the interest, um, is is a big homelessness sort of center in New York City. So a lot of a lot of um, you know researchers and advocates have been raising this issue for a long time. Right. So I have another question. Sure. When you chose the schools, particularly mm-hmm. on the concentrated districts mm-hmm. where there's high levels mm-hmm. um, of homeless students, did you choose a school that had like the highest levels in that particular school mm-hmm. versus yeah. like even though, let's say, like, the neighboring school had lower 
yeah. a lower concentration? How yeah. did you how did you decide your sample? Okay, that's a really good question. So um, I guess like a lot a lot of the conversation so far, we've been talking about the quantitative data, mm-hmm. um, the numbers, the statistics, but we also um, wanted to find out a lot more about how this looks on the ground in schools, how are staff members mm-hmm. at schools grappling with um, you know, supporting really vulnerable students who are experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. And so the way that we chose schools is we actually looked at our data and we looked at the schools that had the highest proportions of homeless students. So, um, you know, and, and this really ranged. Like I said, there were some elementary schools where literally 0% of their population was homeless. There's some elementary schools that had 40% of mm-hmm. their students who were experiencing homelessness. So we focused on the schools with the highest concentrations of homeless students. And then we tried to, we also tried to choose schools that even though they had high concentrations of homeless students, those students still um, were not, you know, experiencing outcomes that were that much worse than mm-hmm. the general population in New York City. So we also looked at attendance rates and test scores. Mm-hmm. And then we came up with a list of schools and then we just you know, sort of asked schools if they wanted to participate in the study um, and ended up doing some field work in five schools. And um, what we did in these five schools was we interviewed the principal and then we conducted focus groups with staff that mm-hmm. um, that support homeless students. So the, these included people like social workers, mm-hmm. um, it included teachers, mm-hmm. it included um, guidance counselors, so people in the school who really like work to support the populations. And we just wanted to hear from them um, about their perspectives, about the challenges they were facing, and um, you know what they were trying to do to support their population of students. So I love doing field work. <laughs> so tell yeah. me, so tell me more about your experience. Did you did you do the field work? I did the okay. field work. Yeah. Tell, yeah. Tell, tell me more about your experience. Your experience doing the field work. I mean, it was you know I always love doing field work because you get to you know I I don't know I think um, <laughs> in research is interesting. I think um, there's a lot to be said about the statistics and the quantitative data because you can kind of look at the problem like over the whole city over time but then I think what's really interesting about doing field work is you really can get down to what's happening at the level of people in schools and and hear those voices and perspectives so it was just really interesting going to the actual schools Mm -hmm. I'm kind of seeing um, you know the things that they there was one school that we visited that um, the principal talked a lot about how they had um, you know set up this clothing drive right Mm. for families and we actually saw families like using the clothing drive, like coming in, like training in clothing. Um, there were other there were schools that had things on site, like washing machines, like because a lot of times, like when you're in shelter, families struggle to be able to wash their clothes. A lot of times, kids don't go to school That's because key. The, because their hygiene is you know they're 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 embarrassed about the state of their hygiene. So like school staff would actually help families with things like that. that so you amazing. saw you saw a lot of that actually in the schools, which mm-hmm. was really I think. You know, I mean, again, I feel it's, it's, I think it's, we ask a lot of teachers and schools to do all these things for their kids, right? But, but they, and they, they don't, don't get paid enough. They don't, right, right. Yeah. And I think <laughs> they don't get paid enough is because whoever is paying them just are not aware. Yeah. Of, of all the time. All the time, the, like the unintended factors yeah. that come into teaching. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. I, I'm also a big advocate for teachers yeah being paid more yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of issues to more. tackle right definitely but, yeah that's so interesting um what else I'm just thinking about the field work I'm I'm so I'm so yeah. because you said that you know you've seen um the clove drive mm-hmm. right that's one resource how schools step in to mm-hmm. kind of um, in some ways, offset yeah, this. Absolutely, I will call it traumatic, like trauma yeah. experience, yeah, right? Right. What are other resources schools, teachers, administrators, maybe the lunch person yeah, get yeah. into yeah. providing sneaky extra food for the students of some sort? Like, yeah. what are other resources? Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned like meals. So, uh, one thing that a lot of the schools talked about is how. Um, so, what one thing we're we're actually interested in is looking at how schools might partner with other organizations mm. in the community to provide these things for families. So, one things one uh, strategy we sort of saw that schools used to support these students is that they would have after-school programs on site that usually those after-school programs could be provided mm. through a community-based organization it could be like an arts program or like a sports mm. program but those programs a lot of times would serve dinner so that if they would try to make sure that all of the homeless families and students knew about this mm-hmm. so that it could be an opportunity for a child to receive not just breakfast and lunch at school but also dinner that's good and another thing that these um you know 
extracurricular programs provided a lot of times for students was like a mentor, right? So one uh, principal talked about how they had like a basketball group and how that coach really got to know the students very well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the students could go to him if they had problems, if they didn't feel comfortable like talking to other people in the school. And also a lot of times what mentors do is they provide kind of a stable adult figure in the life for students, oh, right? Because a lot of times if you're yes. facing all sorts of instability, you're, you're not sure, you know, you're living in shelter, your family's in transition, your family's trying to find housing. Having that a loving, like caring figure at the school mm. really means a lot to students and really helps them stay connected to their school community and stay engaged in school, you know, it can help with attendance. Mm. So that that's another really important thing that we saw. That is so key. Yeah. Like I remember when I was interning in for a nonprofit in mm. Washington DC yep. for the for all girls, but yeah. the majority of the girls who were in that program yeah. were African American mm. girls. And one of the things that you said that kind of reflected back yeah, to that yeah. moment was that mentorship, yeah. right? Having a key figure, at least having a um adult figure yeah. to provide some sort of stability. Yeah. Yep, yep. Right? That is so key. Yeah, and I mean, you know, th that stability could be provided by, you know, like I said, like kind of mentors through mm -hmm. these extracurricular activities. But teachers also talked about how um, one of their kind of first jobs, you know, for the first job obviously is to educate children, but another one of their first jobs is to kind of provide a stable environment for kids who might be facing all sorts of instability and, like you said, trauma outside of, in their outside lives, mm -hmm. like having, you know, a safe space, basically, a classroom where they know, where they have a caring community, where they know the routines, which mm -hmm. is really helpful for students. And I would imagine that because since they imagine that they know, like, the triggers, you know, students are acting out mm -hmm. and so forth, that the discipline is, like, very minimal, right? Because they know that these acting out and being quiet are like factors yeah so. yeah so a lot of times um you know teachers would talk about that how some of the issues that students were experiencing outside of school could manifest in behavior changes mm -hmm. so you know like you said a student who before was really outgoing could suddenly become very withdrawn mm -hmm. um, a student can start acting out in class to get extra attention and mm -hmm. that's where you know the non-instructional staff at the school like social workers become really key because they can help support students um, who also need to be get paid more <laughs> <laughs> through these through these times yeah yes. yeah well yeah social workers you know they have big caseloads and so they're mm -hmm. also again like everyone's kind of working with what they have to try to support a very vulnerable population right yeah all right so we kind of touched on this right mm -hmm. and like most uh, most students who experience homelessness are particularly due to socioeconomic factors and or escaping mm -hmm. um domestic violence yeah, yeah. right is there like what about what about international violence like people are fleeing different countries yeah, and that's a good that's a good question i mean i think there is some of that as well um again like i wish i wish we had like you know i could say like 80 percent of the students who are homeless is yeah. because of eviction like yeah. we don't know that but um yeah i mean i think you know school staff did talk about you know families coming from mm -hmm. other countries um a lot of times and, and and we did see um in our data that um latino students were more likely to be doubled up up. Mm -hmm. And we think some of that might be because of, you know, newly arrived people might be mm -hmm. living with a family member while, while they get established in this country and things like that. So right. uh, I think I would imagine that's the case, but we don't know for sure. Right. Yeah. So you may not. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. just going to ask this question because no, of of your, your research was completely centered on elementary students. Mm -hmm. But I want to know, like, um, in what ways does policy, New York City policy, have contribute to that effect, right? Because the numbers were really low, right? I think back in um, 2012, 2013, 7.5, but the number um, indicated here in 2016, 2017 school year is 9.6. Yeah. So what do you think in some ways policy may have contributed to that growing number or anything or any factors that may have contributed to that growing yeah, number? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, if you look at the growth, it is, there is growth. Um, it's maybe not, like you said, it, it's it's not um, a very large growth in terms of percentage, but yeah. in terms of the number of students, it is a big growth. I mean, I think, like, it's kind of, as we can't really answer this question again. We don't really know what the growth <laughs> is. But I think one thing we have heard is, and this is kind of an interesting, um, I think, spin on this is that because there's been more attention placed on homeless students mm -hmm. um, you know schools have like have more incentive to make sure that they're actually 
gathering information and identifying students. So some of this is because schools might be getting better at identifying students who are experiencing homelessness. Over mm. time, um, basically the schools have a residency form that families are supposed to fill out to indicate their housing status. Every year, every month? So the way it works is that when a fa family is newly, like when you enroll your child in a school, you fill mm. out this residency form. And then when you move, you're supposed to fill it out. But a lot of times families might move into a doubled up situation and not mm. actually update their residency form. So schools are trying to get better at actually doing outreach to families to make sure that, you know, look, checking in with families like during the year, one school was during their parent-teacher conferences was mm. trying to make sure that families would update this residency form. So some of it might be that schools are getting better at identifying homeless students, which is, I think, a good thing because then, um, A, like, then they know, you know, kind of they can support the students once they know what they're, what they're facing outside of school. But then as, I mean, but then, you know, there's, there's probably other larger factors in the city that's contributing to this growth as well. And I mean, I think more research, we need to know, like, what's the state of affordable mm -hmm. housing in the city? You know, what, what are some other factors that are going Yeah, to I would like to speculate here. Mm -hmm. Right, listeners, speculation, <laughs> not a fact. I will speculate gentrification mm -hmm. as being a factor, and I'll also speculate that I remember one of my friends was having a conversation. She was looking for affordable housing, and she needed a salary of, like, $50,000. Who has $50,000? Like, no one's trying to pay $50,000 now. Yep. They're trying to, like, squeeze every penny that they can get, like, from your salary. Yep. And I would just speculate that gentrification could yeah. be a factor into maybe why that could be yeah, happening. Yeah, I and mean, it's especially when you look at families who are doubled up. If you're living in a gentrifying community, if yeah. rent is becoming higher, um, you know, anecdotally, I know of a lot of people who might, you know, be, live with a relative because they can't mm -hmm. afford the rent anymore and they're for their own place. So I think, you know, again, like this isn't a fact, it's a speculation, but I do think like, we know, we should, <laughs> we should do more research to look at kind of the relationship between gentrification and, and homelessness. I think it would be a very interesting so, project to undertake. So this is like my last question, but I'm really eager to ask it now. Like, yeah. So what's the next step for this research? So actually, guys. yeah, so like I mentioned, um, we're hoping to do um, a series or we're not sure if it'll be a brief or or in some other um, form, but looking at the relationship between segregation and some mm -hmm. of these issues that we talked about. So the history of segregation in New York City, you know, and we're also, as far as looking specifically at students who experience homelessness, it'd be interesting to look at the relationship between gentrification mm -hmm. and kind of segregation and concentration of poverty. That's something that we're kind of um, developing right now, a project that looks at some of those bigger factors, like I said, that contribute to inequality in the city. As far as homelessness in itself and homeless students, um, we're really, we're developing um, some research to look at the ways that schools partner with other organizations in their community um, to provide resources for homeless students. So this could be resources like supplies, like school supplies and clothing, but it could also be resources like programs so that can help, you know, students um, find mentors like we talked about earlier. What so, about the parents? The parent, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, and a lot of times, like, you know, so when we're talking about children, I mean, young children are part of a family and it's not just important how the child is doing, it's important how the family is doing. Right. And a lot of the supports that schools provide aren't just for the students are also for the families. Mm -hmm. um, we counselor, or sorry, school staff will talk to families. Um, you know, like I said, there was one school staff member who accompanied a family to PATH when mm -hmm. they had like a traumatic situation and they had to, they were suddenly without housing. Um, but, you know, we also heard, I think in the, re the report, we, we talk about a principal who helped families deal with scheduling um, appointments with social right. service agencies. Because a lot of times the principal said those were scheduled during the day and then the kid had to I miss school. That, yeah. um, so there's a lot of ways that, you know, the staff, they don't just advocate for their child. They also help families in their communities. Yeah, which, I, I thought that was interesting because I read that in a report and I was like, you would think they would try to help these parents yeah. and not schedule um, appointments during the day yeah. while the child is, child is in school. You would think. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, and I don't get it. And I think it's um, a pretty, I'm, I'm, I feel pretty good that, you know, teachers and ministers are stepping in saying, yeah. no, you cannot take yeah. the child um, out of school because the more you take them out of child school, the less instruction that they're exactly. getting. Exactly. And the more it kind of hinders their cognitive development yeah, long term. <sighs> big sigh yeah, I know it's not it's but yeah. how can but thing is like how can we get everyone on the same page 
I think, you know, that's, and this, this is, I think, a bigger question that we're all interested in, too, when it looks like, when we look at collaboration across different agencies. I think a lot of times, you know, um, agencies kind of operate in silos, right? So mm-hmm. schools are really focused on education and, you know, DHS is really mm-hmm. focused on, you know, housing. And, like, I think there needs uh, – this is something that school staff talked a lot about is how there needs to be more communication across these different, you know, organizations yeah. and agencies that are supporting homeless families. Yeah. So more collaboration might help with some of these problems. That's true. I've noted here that collaboration is definitely key. Like, we're, I'm like, we're, I'm like where, <laughs> where can it be collaboration? Yeah, yeah. Um, but part of, part of that is, like, having a better database, mm-hmm. right? And I want, like, have you suggested that to the DOE? Like, like thinking about um, pushing a more um, collaborative process? Because yeah. I know there is sensitive information that only certain agencies yeah, are allowed yeah, to have. Yeah. yeah. That's one thing we talk about at the end of the report. I mean, I think they're, I mean, and again, I think the logistics of this are really difficult. So, I mean, I know that, um, you know, a lot of care would have to be taken in how you do this. But a lot of the teachers talked about how when a child moves, especially children who are mobile, who Mm -hmm. move from one school to another school, how there's a lot of information that's just lost in Mm -hmm. that that move, right? Mm -hmm. So teachers get to know their students really well. They get to know kind of their students' backstory, um, how they respond to different instructional techniques and routines in the classroom. And when, you know, when a student moves to a different school, that sort of process is start all over. So is there a way Mm -hmm. to share more information across schools when students move that will be yeah. helpful to um, instruction and I think you know that that's something that's something that we should think about and I think also just having more like I said uh, schools know you know whether or not a student is homeless but mm-hmm. they don't always have information about for how long mm-hmm. that student has been homeless and so I think that's really important um, when students know that a student is experiencing homelessness, they just know that at some point during the year they experienced homelessness. They don't know whether it was for like a couple of nights or for, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of months or almost the whole year. And I think that's really important for schools to know too, because you could imagine those experiences would be really different. And, and why would you say it, it's important for schools to know that type of information? Mm-hmm. Um, because well, we fi- I think we find in our you know analysis that it, it seems like for how long a student is homeless really matters in terms of their outcomes. So I think that that's one reason why. Because, you know, schools have limited resources and, you know, then they can target interventions to the neediest students. That's probably one reason. Right. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything that you wanted to include that didn't ask? Oh, man. I think you you covered a lot of questions. I mean, I think think this is just an important issue, and I'm glad that it's getting attention, but it's still, like I said, I think remembering that we live in New York City where some of the wealthiest people in the world live. Hey. And we're still seeing this huge problem with, so many families and children who don't have stable housing. I think it's just really, it's really troubling. And I think like, you know, I, if, if the research we do can mm-hmm. shed light on this and join, you know, other researchers and trying to think of ways that schools can really support students, I think that's important. But I think we also need to think about how this is beyond the school, right? This problem is not just about the school. It's this problem the school. is through policy, yeah, it's, through yeah. the government, like, yeah, got to do better yeah you gotta do better right right. so you know we can't just we can't just only look to schools for the the solution to the problems we need to think bigger yeah and i think some people may say like oh well you know if the schools are already doing it let them continue to do it (laughs) like no definitely not the solution right right that's not equitable either right it's not if they do want teachers to do more or schools to do more then well pay us $20,000 per year, right? Because they wear multiple hats. And it's kind of interesting how just, again, because they care about these students, like people are just stepping in, Mm -hmm. right? To kind of, again, like just offset this imbalance. Either hopefully long-term, temporarily, and so forth. (sighs) Big sigh again. I know. Big sigh. You know... Not related, but 50 Cent did talk about this. You know, like, Power, live in a big, rich town, you know? Or, like, I've seen memes where, like, oh, when people say I live in New York City, they think this, but I mean that, right? Right, right. Projects, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I think it's important. Let me just share this. Yeah. I thought what was really interesting was when I was sitting in class, and this teacher was like, what is one thing you love about New York City? Oh, this is a problem, which is talks about the inequality 
and like gentrification and they were saying that the teacher was like oh what is one thing you like about new york city what, what is one thing you don't like i am confident that i was one of maybe the three mm-hmm. or two who was born and raised in new york city right. sitting in that classroom is this at nyu yes yeah okay mm-hmm. and every student i was the last student every student was saying oh i loved the fact that there's these opportunities and mm-hmm. jobs and mm-hmm. um the diversity right. and i put this in air quotes yes. and <laughs> i put and they said like oh the food that you just like you have access to all these different kinds of mm-hmm. foods and so forth and when it came to me i was like yeah i say yeah. what i like about being from new york is that, that i could rep it like mm-hmm. a legit new yorker yeah. Yeah. but at the same time what i don't like about new york is that how people who are come from different states and or internationally who uses those resources in a new york city space yeah. that in some ways people who are raised and born in your city don't have access yeah. to the opportunity yeah. that you are claiming that you enjoy yeah, yeah yeah i mean i think that's one thing that's really straight i mean i i you know i study students who live in new york city and who go to school in new york city and that i think like people who just live here as adults like yeah. they live a very different life than yes. people who are actually raising families here right and i mean we always talk about this how the new york city population the school of you know students who attend mm-hmm. school you know like you know upwards of 75 percent of students are free and reduced price lunch who mm-hmm. attend new york city schools right so it's it's just a very different population and i think like when people think about New York City as this land of opportunity and you know sort of for the you know the glitz and glam of living in a global city they don't always think about the people who grew up here and live here and I think that that's important to keep in mind yes oh yeah yeah maybe representation more in the media (laughs) yeah but proper representation in the media can best speak to that so one of my listeners want to know so I want to know what what they want to know yeah um, so where do students and parents receive hygiene products, food, and most importantly, health care? You touched on this just a little bit because you talked about the clove drive, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think, um, again, like, our study focused mostly on what schools do. So this is not necessarily everything that mm-hmm. parents can access. And, like, um, I hope families in need really, you know, there, there are other avenues. But I think what there's been a move towards trying to have more services provided at the school. So um, one of the schools that we did field work in was a community school. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that on site, they partner with a community based organization. Mm-hmm. And on site in the school, they provide things like um, vision screening so mm-hmm. kids can get their eyes checked, dental screening Good. so kids can get their, you know, what make sure the teeth. Mental health, ser- mental health services, I don't think the school quite had that but you're right that could be another service kit that could be provided at mm-hmm. the school and I just think in, in, in general it's an interesting model to think about um, the school as being like a place not just where kids can learn mm-hmm. but also a place where kids can access some of these services um, and you talked I think in the question too about other things like hygiene products and clothing I mean again like $100 per student is not that much money but I think what schools try to do with that limited funds is to have things like um, school supplies for students who might not be able to afford them Um, one school had like a coat drive so they had coats for kids who Mm. might not be able to afford having warm clothing in the winter Um, you know I mentioned that school that had a washing machine on site that families could use if they did not have access to one so I think you know a lot of times schools do try to provide Mm. these sorts of services for for families and students Um, but again I think we have to ask ourselves like why is school providing yes why do we have people in our city who can't you don't have access to those That's the in other question. ways, right? So, I mean, yeah, it's it might not be the best solution, but it is, you know, schools are trying to provide some yeah. of those things. It just seems like schools are the ones who are always addressing the problem or bringing attention to a particular problem. Like, what do you think why that might, why that might be? I mean, I think, you know... Um, like I said, I think um, before about, you know, the population in New York City that actually attends the schools, you know, it's lower income, right, than the mm. population that lives in the city as a whole. And I think, like, um, you know, school is something that all kids, like, have to touch. Like, you know, you pretty much you have to go to school if you're a kid, right? Mm. If you're a student. So, and, and students actually spend probably, I mean, they spend 
most of their time in school, if you think about it, during the school year, even more time than they might spend with their family, right? right. Every day you're going to school from the morning until the till the afternoon at least, and some students stay after school for after school programs. So it's a place where kids are. So mm-hmm. I think that that's why um, a lot of these policy solutions try to provide these services at the school because it's it's an easier way for students to access it. And a lot of times the students can access these resources mm-hmm. and it can extend out to families as well. So I think that's why. You know, shout yeah. out to shout out to everyone who works at a school <laughs> yeah, and right. providing resources, going above and beyond for these students. We appreciate you, right? We really do. Yeah. But, so, last question: What is something you wish you included in the study that you didn't get oh, a chance to well, put in a report? There's so much, right? I mean, you touched on some of these things already. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that both me and Sitsi, who is my co-author, really felt like when writing this report is that, you know, homelessness is a symptom of, like, larger inequalities, right? And I think, like, having more um, information of, or more kind of research as to why so many families are experiencing homelessness mm-hmm. and you talked about some of these issues it might be because of gentrification it might be mm-hmm. because of affordable housing issues i think knowing more about why families so many families are experiencing homelessness in new york city is just a really important piece of this story that mm-hmm. we weren't really able to get into with this brief because it focused more on the school level so yeah wow well but yeah like you said this is i mean this it's it's not it's sobering right yeah it's very sobering to yeah. talk about Mm. If this was, if there was a recording here, like a video recording, yeah. my face, people yeah. would like, my face. <laughs> a lot of sighing, a lot of, yeah. Yes, yes, a lot of sighing. And I don't, I honestly don't know what, what will come next of this larger issue. Because mm-hmm. to me, you address one problem, another problem continues to arise, or as I say, like this monster just keeps molding perfectly into other spaces mm-hmm. that makes it harder to identify and that's when institute like which has again been institutionalized mm-hmm. but how can this into institutionalized discrimination prejudice or oppression mold itself into perfection that it becomes harder and harder mm-hmm. to identify yeah because we could talk about from before 1865 and <laughs> or after and then like just cycles of disparities yeah yeah, yeah affecting I mean, yeah black and brown people yep yep i mean again like this is I, I really think we should think of homelessness as a symptom of larger problems in our society um and that's why you know uh, as our organization really focuses on schools and what schools mm-hmm. kind of do um in the face of inequality but you know this is beyond schools this is this is this is there's a bigger systems bigger structures that reproduce this inequality in our city so all right. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank of you course. for joining me. Of course. Everyone, thank you for listening. I'm Izzy. I'm Catherine. Yep. Would you like to say any, say anything to the audience? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And you know, I hope that I hope that you we all continually having this discussion in our communities about this important issue and continue to advocate for children and families. Yes, advocate yeah. is very key. Yeah. Very very key. You've been listening to Izzy's Network, the podcast. Follow, subscribe, share the podcast. Thank you for listening and see you next time.